Ladies and gentlemen, Linda Lawfare welcomes you to Tulsa. podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf as well as some media related to comics and graphic novels i am todd a and i am now adrian vite that is my name i'm changing it legally to adrian vite because i have walked away you know it's interesting but the, of all the things that i loved about the series the what my favorite and this is completely personal to me my favorite thing is that it really solidified bite as and slash Ozymandias is like well, my favorite character when I, the, the movie hadn't really done that. The movie was like the movie Vite was so like the weakest character. And here it's, it was like the strongest in my opinion, just based on all the shit that gave Jeremy Irons to do. I'll um, tell you what I did not expect of all, all the things that I thought were like really good at capturing the mood and stuff of the book and movie. I did not expect to feel that ambiguity about did they do the right thing and yeah. to have Adrian basically redeem himself question mark <laughs> for the three for like murdering 3 million people in New York in 85 mm-hmm. was I was like, Oh no, <laughs> I'm left with like this, this feeling in the pit of my stomach. Like I, this does not feel right. Like I, you know, I thought justice had been sort of extracted upon him in its own weird way, but mm-hmm. I guess Manhattan knew he had to keep him alive for the to be there in the clutch. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's, right. he still he wasn't redeemed. I mean, Lori Blake thought felt the same clearly, so she's like, "No, you're not redeemed." Like that was that was the moment where like they could have just true. like sailed off and be like, "Well, Adrian, you got away with it this time." Like, and Very she's true. like, "No, no, 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 fuck that. We're you're coming with us." And what better person to pair her with to extract that justice than than Wade? Yes. I mean that. I love that. Right, the know, most traumatized person we've seen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and and he would be the guy, given his circumstances, to absolutely like knock Adrian out, like as he was monologuing, like, no, 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 fuck you, you're coming. Oh with yeah, us. yeah. I love We're the little detail right where he says, "When was the last uh, squid fall?" And he's like, three weeks ago." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I recorded it in my squid yeah. uh, squid rainfall manual. Yeah. No, it's. Okay, so so I'm gonna kind of go in reverse order, probably. Or who knows? But we're gonna pop around this whole finale yeah. episode. Um, we, I, can we can we can we cut to our our summary of it? Did oh, he yeah, stick yeah. the landing? Did he stick the landing? I I, re, I distinctly uh, messaged you as it was as I was finishing it, saying, "Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> clear yourself for landing." Linda Lafair welcomes you to the city of your destination. Oh my god! Or, it welcomes you to Tulsa. Is what I said. And yeah. it's it's like I, as much as this guy could, I think it, he absolutely did. It's just in it. It's almost a little. I have to. I have problems believing it actually happened. I you know, feel like, the same way. Wait, did I just dream that ending? Yeah, it was real ending. You no, know, it was okay. Like, I was surprised. 
I was emotionally invested. Um, I felt satisfied. I didn't see, you know, a lot of it. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I would just say I didn't see it coming in that way. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, what was your, I, what was the, what was the biggest surprise for you? in well, that? Regard? Oh, it's hard to say biggest. Um, I, I, most, what was your most favorite surprise? Like what was the thing that, like, Oh, that was my, of all the things that I didn't see coming. I really liked that one the best. Um, I, 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 yeah, it's hard to say it's one of the things I, I didn't see coming, but I'll tell, I I'll tell really you liked, um, uh, you go first, go ahead. Uh, what the fact it? that lady true's plan was the seventh Calvary's plan. Thank you. That's yes. That is what I was going to say as well. Oh, Good. Good. Because like, this whole time we, you and I've been wondering like, well, what's her, what's her whole thing. And you know, right. I, I, they sort of have been subtly pointing us to, Oh, her, her plan is to stop their plan. Like her millennium clock will somehow save him. You know, yeah. like she'll put everything right. She won't, you know, and we kind of, we're all sort of, I think, pointed in the right direction of Adrian's her dad. So it's like maybe she she'll go the other way. But no, it's like her plan just is their plan, but better. You know, like she had like the full the full plan um, to actually pull it off. I just I was that was sort of floored me. I was like, oh, yeah. And then it was, what, oh, go ahead, I go thought ahead. that was a great fake out too. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people weren't faked out. Like they, you know, I, because she was such. Um, uh, an inscrutable kind of character. Like I, you know, we knew something was up. What's the other shoe with her? Um, but then when it turns out like, no, she's just built a bigger, better machine. <laughs> um, and I, and I loved like a tiny little twist. I loved the idea that like that teleporter thing we saw them experimenting with, with the basketball wasn't, that wasn't the machine to trans to transfer the power. That was just to get Manhattan in their building. Like, a yeah. trap. Yeah. And the, you know, the lithium battery thing, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. There was, I mean, it's like he, he truly took, like Lindelof truly took the lost criticism to heart and was like, okay, every answer except for like maybe two or three, but then even the, the PDPedia solved most of those too. So it's like, here's everything even, and I feel like this was exclusively for me. It was like, and oh, by the way, Taylor, remember that owl ship you saw uh, Judd in earlier? Actually, oh, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the real owl ship. It was based on the design of the real Archie, which is right here. Here it is. And just that was such a cool – like they even thought – they even took care to be like, and that's why that happened. It's like, oh, good. So now there's never – because like that would have been my first question. It's like, well, how the hell did Judd get the owl? Oh, that's how. Okay. Right. And what about just the game warden being revealed to be just another of the clones with a dumb mustache? Like, oh, that was perfect. <laughs> now, now here's my question. The – when we saw him as you know it, up until that moment, it was a different actor because that's how Vite had to see him, right? Is that sort of what we're meant to take away from that, or was it I, always that actor? I I think it may have always been that guy. <laughs> because I thought something. It seemed like when he took the mask off, it was like, oh, it was the clone. But he had that line, that wonderful line of, um, you know, I needed you to wear. Like, why do I wear the mask? Like, I needed you to to be the enemy, or I need you. I needed to. Yeah, see a worthy him. adversary. Yeah, and so it's like I wonder if he almost didn't see him a little more as the comedian, you know, like as like a different actor standing in for him. It just it sort of had that vibe for some reason. Oh yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. I, I just the the pleasure I took in <laughs> realizing that of course Adrian set up his own obstacle course. Yeah. Like. It wasn't Manhattan Completely. policing him or anything. It was Adrian was like, this is so dull. I need to, and they will only ever serve me. So I need to tell one of them the way you serve me is that you always oppose me. Like what yeah. a hilarious reveal. 
I, you know, Tom uh, Meissen or Meissen, I can't remember how you pronounce his name. And then Sarah Vickers, they play Mr. Phillips and Miss Crookshanks, the, the clones. Like, what fun they must have had. I mean, it was probably really long working days because they had to play oh, yeah. multiple, multiple versions of themselves across different, you know, in different sets. And I mean, all that. But it's just like they got to really just run the gamut, especially Tom Meissen. Like, he got to do every – he got to be Dr. Manhattan too. You know, it's like he got to do the whole – the whole gambit and just like kind of, you know, hang out with Jeremy Irons the entire time. That must've been just a ball full of fun. Oh yeah. Uh, what? Uh, so yeah, when they, when they revealed it as that, I was, I sort of laughed because it, it took me back to the court scene when he's just sitting there and they're like day 365. And he's just kind of like, he looks sad. You know, people uh, on Reddit were like, Oh, he looked sad. And I was just like, he looked bored as hell. He looked like he was so like disinterested in what was going on that he just, he couldn't even say anything, which was really fun because when you, at the very end, when Lori says she's taken him in, uh, taking Vite in at the end, he yeah. starts immediately basically giving the, legal defense he should have been giving in that in the in the clone case in the clone trial yeah like he just started immediately going i did this and he's like and then that's when wade knocks him out but it was just kind of funny how when it was a real you know a real scenario he had to really like advocate for himself he it it was instant you know no problem and then in his little in his little uh obstacle course as you like as you called it that was you know yeah and just and it also provided i mean talk about all the little answers getting a little questions being answered is like now we know. So, I, you know, after our last episode, where we talked about how bored he was in the courtroom. And I thought, well, he knows he's got to wait another year. So he's yeah. just, you know, he's bored because it's like, <laughs> what's the point in offering a defense when I know in a year I'm going to be rescued? But now we know even more, which yeah. is like he set the whole thing up. This wasn't like a real court of law kind of thing at all. Like this was yeah. his, quote, adversary that thought this would be the best way to oppose him. <laughs> so, yeah, he's beyond bored because it's like, oh, my God, dude, there's no way to take this for real, you know? Um, I, love, I love that he, uh, you know, he said, and then, you know, as his parting line to the guy, he's like, was I a worthy adversary? He's like, no, but you put on one hell of a show. And yeah. then not much longer after that, it's like, it's his daughter that becomes his true worthy adversary. He even says as much when he gets teleported to Karnak. It's like, ah, finally a worthy adversary. So it's kind of fun to see, like, it's just that streamlined and connected so well. It did feel like, I mean, this felt more like a movie, I think, than any of the previous. I mean, maybe with the exception of the black and white episode. This felt like just a, a great movie. You almost kind of forget you were watching a, the end of a series. Um, just the way it kind of incorporated it. Just the pacing of it, the movement of it. And then we finally – oh, my – so, so okay. I was going to say most favorite moment, but let's backtrack. You had your – I said my most surprising moment, which sounds like it was yours, the reveal of Lady True's um, yeah. plan. Yeah. I honestly, I think my favorite, the my favorite thing was, um, well, uh, I, God, I mean, just, just way to go, Lindelof, really. Um, the egg callback, oh, when, yeah. like, and the fact that it was placed earlier in the episode two, like when, um, Hooded Justice, uh, uh, can't remember his name, Will, when Will says something about, oh, you got to break a few eggs. That's just something he told me, and then it's like, you know, a few minutes later, she's back in the house cleaning up. And, it, you know, it was like, oh, my God, this is like what a good way to do that. I just I, I think my the best, most surprising thing was watching all the pieces like it was like just watching gears sort of, yeah. you know, turn well, together. Even, even in that same scene when like in the in the previous episode, John goes, watch, you know, look at the eggs or watch the eggs as they're coming out of the fridge. But he's basically telling the audience, like, watch the eggs. 
Like this will be important. Right, right, right. Yeah. Even yeah. even earlier too, he go. You know, he's standing on the pool right after he kind of manifests, and she's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "It'll be important later." And then you know, obviously we needed that. So when she eats the egg and you know starts to stride across the water, we're like, "Oh, that's what she's she's doing the thing that he did so that she can you know test whether or not she's him." Or have his, you know, has his right. powers, and I just the fact that it cut to black. I'm so happy. They, you know, it was basically the Inception ending. It's like you know, the audience gets it, that's not the important question. You know, the you know whether she is or isn't. That's not the important. It's just you know, the pondering the possibility of it. That's kind of I mean, it. Just it ended in such a way that it, it answered everything, and then what it teased wasn't really like, well, in season two, we're gonna find out what you know. It's like that's not. There won't be a season two. That's not what's important. I just I love that they committed to it. You know, like, there's so many cop outs that they could have taken it. Just oh, so satisfying. Yeah, to- no, totally. I I love that word committed to it too. Um, I, I you know another thing that it, you talked about in the last episode that I thought was a great like callback to just feel like ah oh, they tied it up nicely was uh, you'd made this comment that like you know this happens in an era of like racism um and it has to do with race relations and uh racial hostility and animus and stuff like that but but it, that's not always in the foreground of the story it's just kind of like you know the the heartbeat underneath it or something mm-hmm. and to have that question answered too mm-hmm. i thought was really great and then i mean i think you could you could nitpick like that it's obvious like it's way too obvious or not obvious but it's way too neat that lady true's plan and the seventh uh cavalry plan was the same plan basically but i think that just sort of adds to the the like to me that fits the watchman universe that is like the essential uh like a paradox of adrian's original um plan in 85 is like do I wait for the nukes to kill this many people? And then there's like this long drawn out argument about like how we stop nuclear war or do I just go ahead and kill this many people mm-hmm. <laughs> and it frightens everyone into peace. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well here, but here's, I have a, I have a little thesis uh, and I teased this earlier. I was talking to my friend Craig who works at Epicentral with me. Shout out to Craig. If you're listening, um, we were chatting. I just, I sort of have this, this kind of thesis about the, because they made her plan, their plan it gave us the opportunity to look at uh, the f- kind of the four different manifestations of power. And so you have the status quo, right? Dr. Manhattan, I mean, they even, they talk about it this whole episode, though, like he could have done more, but he was really like representative of the status quo. Like he's kind of rep- he never really rose above his station. He sort of was an operator. And then when he had the chance to do more, he just, he abdicated his responsibility. Then you have like in the, in the seventh Calvary, you have power in the context of like a very hyper right wing, you know, xenophobic sort of, yeah. You know, trying to think of the like extremist context right yeah then in the in the case of lady true you have an almost the opposite of that which is this hyper aware liberal like just but like authoritarian almost it's too far that way it's like very authoritarian um you know i what i know best i will fix the world and you know i'll remake the world in my image because i know it'll be better that that kind of thing and then the fourth one which is where we ended up which is uh, you know, somebody who didn't crave power, who never asked for it, who was fighting the good fight all along, you know, down in the trenches, doing the good work, and 
as a result of her of both her luck but also her you know her circumstances all, all of these things she's now been given this potentially been given this power how does she use it and is that the best option of all four i would say yes so like she you know the best option sort of ban- you know got the power at the end and then it's kind of for us to think about how that how that would work, you know, and how do we, how do we manifest that in our regular lives? Like that, if that was intentional, I, it, it's goddamn poetic <laughs> because it's just yeah. like, what a great, what a great message and sort of meditation to leave an audience on after, yeah. oh. you know, eight to nine episodes of, of awesomeness. I like that word too, where it's like meditate on it because mm-hmm. I, and that picks up exactly where uh, something I wanted to say, which was uh, to me that one of the really cool things about the graphic novel is it feels like the more interesting question that it leaves us with is what does the world do when they realize what Adrian did? And there is this time bomb planted, which is Rorschach's diary. Mm-hmm. And so I think the book ends with like, you're, you're like, Oh shit, what's going to happen when the world discovers that Adrian Vite did this to prevent, you know, a larger war? Mm-hmm. Like, are, you know, do they turn on him? Do, does, do the, the passions get inflamed uh, and the ideologies get inflamed even more, you know? And so we've been left hanging this whole season with like knowing that this society knew about Rorschach's journal, but hadn't quite reacted to it, I guess, or, mm. or were led to believe that like maybe those parts of it weren't published. I mean, I, I took away from the book that Rorschach knew Adrian's plan. I haven't gone back to the book to discover the timeline there and see if he knew it, like, or he wrote knows, it down or anything. They knew. Okay. So in the, in the timeline of the original of the old Testament, as, as Linda, <laughs> I was listening to his, I, by the way, quick shout out again, there is a killer episode of fat man on Batman where Mark Bernardin interviews Lindelof and it came out last week. Um, so we had, they, they recorded it knowing the finale was still to come. Um, and it's just, he gets really into the weeds on everything, all the thought process that went into building the writer's room to why he took on the project, the circumstances under which he took onto the project, like the demands he placed on HBO about like, you know, it will always, you know, we're not going to reboot it. We're not going to, you know, all these things that kind of led to what we got, um, gets really into the weeds on it. Where was I going with that? What did I, what was I saying before that? I just... (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll fill in. Um, I don't think we mentioned that interview on our last episode. Um, uh, I think it was after that came out. It was you privately told me about that, like check out this podcast. So I would say like a hearty endorsement of that episode of fat man on Batman or fat man beyond or something like that. Now, what is yeah, it? Yeah. Fat um, man beyond. Sorry. You're um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it, we, I, I, I keep coming back to the gear metaphor. Like it really feels like what, whatever, like all the care that they took in putting together that writer's room and, and setting these constraints on HBO that this wouldn't turn into like, a, a you know, a, what, what do you want to call it? Like a re-promotional vehicle, like another marketing sort of thing, like another, and another game of Thrones. Like it was like yeah, all yeah. those little constraints, um, uh, for this creative team, uh, really fell into place and that, you know, all those, the, <laughs> the tines of the gear, the teeth of the gear all locked together in this last episode. I, I love your summation that like, you almost felt like you were dreaming through it because mm-hmm. I, I, after, after watching it flashed back to, you know, us going into the game of Thrones ending and thinking right? like, <laughs> and thinking like, I'm j- I was just, I mean, and it's recorded in our podcast Wednesday, uh, in Westeros, um, you can hear me the week before and the week after going like, just like, it's not even a don't fuck it up thing. It was like, you've already 
fucked it up or taken enough shortcuts. <laughs> like just come in for a landing. Just mm-hmm. end it. Don't end it in a way where we have a bunch of questions and it's like, that'll just make it even more unsatisfying. Like it's already unsatisfying. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. end it. You know, give us a <laughs> merciful, a mercy kill here, you yeah. know? Um, and to walk away from that thinking like, ah, oh, thank God it's done. And then for this to feel so right was I, I just, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't describe it. That was like, uh, the, the true, like, uh, sublime experience of watching, um, great, uh, you know, visual medium there. So, Oh my goodness. Do you remember? Okay. Remember when they first announced it and then like all the press kind of surrounding it was like completely, it was like the Mueller, the Mueller probe. Like they absolutely, all the speculation that none of it was accurate whatsoever. You know, they're like, we heard that it's going to be a, a sort of a, a reboot, you know, a sort of thing, but it will be expand upon the story of the book. So you'll get the book, but you'll get all the stuff around it. Just all these different takes that just sounded horrible. And I'm like, I don't, ugh. you know, like thinking in my mind, you know, when it comes out, I'll probably glance at it out of sort of disdain and just that will be the end of it. But then he, you know, then you saw some interesting things like, and Jeremy Irons is Ozzy Mendez. It's like, really? Is it? Yeah. Is that, I, I don't, uh, all right, I guess. And that turns out, I, and of all the things, uh, well, needless to say, like all of that, all that pre kind of press coverage is just horseshit, like top to bottom. <laughs> and so it's, it, it was yeah. nice to kind of come into this completely. Like it was almost like Kingsman all over again. It was just like having my expectations, like completely just, thrown out the window like oh i don't even know what's going on right now like what a wonderful feeling you know to kind of be back in the chocolate factory and just like you you really can't second guess the thing because we've become so sophisticated as audience members you know just with all the good stuff like we we kind of know very quickly what could happen and while we can appreciate some shows for their you know the, the art alone if a story is predictable, a story is predictable. And so it's just, it's nice to be like, I do not know what, what they're doing. Like, you know, you think it's the book. Oh no, it's not really the book. Oh, you think oh, it just kind of goes around and around and around. That was just such a beautiful, beautiful thing to, to discover. I had another point to make too. I just keep, I'm just hitting upon all day. <laughs> well, can I pick up on something we were wrong about? Yeah, please. Judd Crawford absent from this episode. Yeah, I was shocked. It, I, I mean, was too. I, I, it makes sense. I mean, it, now that I've seen it, it's like, well, yeah, there really wasn't a place to no. shoehorn him in. I'm glad they didn't try, but it was, it's just, it was shocking nonetheless. I, uh, you know, shout no, out. To- I agree. I, but we, we even said that in our last episode and I, I liked the prominence of, um, I forget his wife's name, June. Is it? Oh, I, I can't remember. It's, it's yeah, another it's J, that, isn't it? Judy, Jane, Julia, it's that June. wonderful, um, uh, redhead actress what's her name francis fisher jane crawford there she is jane she like her prominence in the like cyclops pews in the church you know and all that like i really liked uh that she was this sort of dark horse character that came out because like you're right like that actor is so amazing like yeah but oh yeah exactly when she was hanging out with judge she was almost like a politician's wife just like "Uh uh-huh her voice was decisively higher in pitch go back to those voice and she's a little like "Uh uh-huh and then she turns and she when laurie exposes her she's like well that's what they wanted us to believe i was gonna be the plan and you just all of a sudden she becomes this just crazy villain it was really fun to she must have had a ball playing that part i Mm -hmm. i just 
I guess I'm still it's going to be really fun to go back and rewatch this now with all this context, because now things like Judd snorting cocaine during the party make complete sense. It's like, oh, he was nervous being around these black people. He's trying to manipulate, knowing full well that Dr. Manhattan's in his house and he doesn't know quite how to manipulate him. And it's just Mm. like and he's I mean, now that you know that that takes on such a different color, like it's going to be so much fun now to like go back and see it through this new lens. It'll be like a whole new thing. I and it's just and even more shocking, you know when, when we first had the reveal of the clan outfit in the in the closet, um, I yeah I think everybody was yeah there were some people who were like no he's just a flat out racist no no mystery there and it's everybody's like no there's got to be some kind of I mean me included it's like I mean I was like I was on the he's Dan Dryberg train this can't be real <laughs> and I'm like and now I'm like if they ever do a Dan Dry well we'll get to that we'll get to that but I was, yeah I was um I I mean it was it's still a little shocking to find out like no he was just a he was just a, a, a hateful man <laughs> yeah. Just, well, I, or as uh, as Looking Glass put it, like he was a, he was a white man in Oklahoma, or I think that was yeah. Looking Glass that said that, like sort of like a would you expect? Like he can't be surprised by it, like you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I you know what I'll tell you one of those great surprises from this episode was um, uh, Keen uh, Junior telling the story. First of all, the monologuing was hilarious. Anyway, oh my but God. telling the story about That's... his lieutenant that ended up in Gila Flats or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. I was, I mean, that was one of those moments where I was like. Holy shit. Like that. What a great, like, don't, if you're going to build a, a story that's this full of mystery, it, it was so satisfying to get every little part of that mystery revealed. And so, yeah, Manhattan zapped him, but not being like, you know, present as Dr. Manhattan in that moment, sent him back to his birthplace, his yeah. own birthplace, you know, yeah. like what a crazy thing. Like he didn't just explode his head. And, yeah, and to your point, see. like, and I love, you know, you had said something like, oh, yeah, maybe they saw the blue flash of light or something. And it turns out, like, no, this dude called him and was like, what the fuck? I'm in New Mexico. <laughs> and I, I love, love that. that they were smart enough to put it together. To, like, I like it when the villains are just as smart yes. as everybody else. Yes. Like, that's so Great important. Point. They're like, you know, we knew. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't hard to figure out, but like they weren't like, well, how did we, we would have never known that? Like, I mean, so many other movies or stories, the villains just aren't smart. And I like, I'm over that. Like, the villains have to be smart, as smart if not smarter than the main, the main protagonist. But just the idea that there's this kid who's, and, and we even got the original Senator Keene. You know, it has an like yes. on screen. The guy, the guy, the author of the Keen Act, which played yeah. such a crucial story point in the original Watchmen in the in the Old Testament. Um, so we get him there, his son giving this just batshit crazy. Like I love that character's evolution over the course of this of the show because he starts off and you're like, oh, what a wholesome guy. He's probably on our side, right? He might be Night Owl. <laughs> like all these, you know, all these. <laughs> projections and then you get just this just another like bond villain just cackling on as he undresses himself down to his dr manhattan cosplay and well, just gets, you know, gets gets in this machine another, another thing i loved that i didn't quite uh t- fully appreciate in the moment but it in retrospect was that like um he was the sort of like he was one archetyped archetype of the superhero villain where he's like, you know, he's so full of himself and his own, um, like clever plans. He's going to tell everybody about it, but he hasn't factored in like this one crucial uh, like <laughs> detail. And yeah. then lady true is the other archetype, which is like, she's so narcissistic and, but she does, she is smart enough to have thought through the details. It's just that, um, you know, something legitimately, uh, 
unexpected happens. Yeah, which is yeah. you know the 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 goo from Senator Keene, like <laughs> provides the way for Manhattan to yeah. send him to Karnak. That was great. Oh, I don't know what I was gonna say. I mean, I love the fact that they turned this character who I thought, you know, if Judd was going to be a good guy, or I, I thought that that second gunman at the, at uh, Angela's house was Judd. Um, right, and then, right. so, and then, so when you, you find out that he zapped that, that Manhattan zapped him away, they could have just left that guy, you know, who cares what happened to that guy. But the fact that they even turned that into a crucial storyline, like it, that feeling you have as you're sort of re- reveling in all that is the exact inverse, the opposite of the feeling I had as the last episode of Lost aired. And it's just like all these wasted plot. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe it was made by the same guy. Like, or well, one half well, of Lost was the same guy. It's, it's, and- I just, ugh. Correct me if I'm wrong, and it's so funny because I'm I'm sort of tempted. Like people bad talk Lost so much, I almost want to go watch it oh. to see what how bad it is. But the problem is like you it's gotta watch six, six. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You gotta watch all these seasons just to appreciate how much the ending whiffed. Yeah. But so correct me if I'm wrong, but I I had heard over. During its making, like I remember in season two, when friends who liked it said, yeah, there's a rumor that like one of the things he's doing is the writers are working sort of like uh, away from each other so that certain surprises they write in, the other ones don't know or something like that. Oh, um, God. And so I wonder now in in, uh, you know, the the understanding that like the care he put into this writer's room and setting up all these things beforehand, ha- you know, how much that truly did contribute to lost, like, you know, <laughs> crashing that's and burning. A great, that's a great, you question. know, like, was it, and, and was that the problem with series television in the day? Cause that, it's like, it's going to say that because lost was as much a victim of, you know, 26 episodes for yeah. ABC per season as, I mean, remember this lost of, I mean, for all its faults, um, it was a killer show up until the, the last season. <laughs> And it was the first show on network TV to get to insist for and get an end date. Like that was like revolutionary. They were, I mean, uh, British TV has had an end date, you know, right. for most of their shows from time in memoriam, but like American television, just, you know, you'd, you'd make a show and it would run until it just pissed itself and died. Like yeah. they would not, they would never end a show too soon. It's like, no, 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 no. Like run it into the ground. And only then will we finally just like, you know, quietly wipe it away and boss right. is like no, no no we're gonna we have to have an end date because we have to work backwards that just made everybody like it instilled so much confidence in it so then they have this plan just you know like they have it that was the whole thing the whole time they have a plan and then just it didn't it didn't happen but i think you know if if watchman had to be 26 27 episodes i oh, it would God. not be this <laughs> it would be something else entirely i don't well, know yeah, and I don't want to. Um, I don't want to tank our landing um, on yeah. this, but uh, I do think the more <laughs> about lost. There, there are questions. The no, no, no. There, are, I got questions uh, lurking out there for, um, like, do well, I'll start with this. Do you want a season two? Got, uh, okay. Uh, easy answer: No. Um, are I we going to get one? <laughs> I, uh, I think legitimate answer: No time soon. It is. Uh, it, okay. Go back into that fat, uh, fat Man Beyond episode with Lindelof. He has said he, this is all he's interested in doing. He has like he is not signing back up for it, and he says it. He hopes if they if HBO con- wants to continue it, that it's a totally new creative team, um, which they have precedent no. for, by the way, a la True no? Detective. 
Yeah, Um, yeah, because that second season of True Detective was wonderful, right? That that was the one that really proved (laughs) they could they could really bring it over the finish line with a second season. There's been three now, hasn't there? Three or four. Maybe. Oh yeah, but it was that second one that everyone went. Oh, that sucked. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but um, and, and that there's the risk too, right? Like if they bring in somebody who's not, if he doesn't want to do it, I wouldn't. I would be. I'd be shocked if there wasn't another team out there who didn't have an equally interesting take. Yeah, I I, I would love to see it. I just don't want it to be any continuation of this story. Yeah. I want it to be, you know, like they could do any number of things. They could, you know, give us 10 years from this point in time. You know, they, they could give us what, you know, the, the, the night owl story, like everything involving him up to getting captured. You know, we could get that instead. We yeah. could get, uh, I mean, I would adore, and this is my personal thing. And if it's largely based on the before Watchmen Minutemen um, edition that had came out, uh, that, you know, of, of all the, uh, right. the, yeah, yeah, the comic books. Yeah, they have a a silk spe- no, sorry, a silhouette um, and original Night Owl kind of sub story that is freaking fantastic, and I would adore seeing a Minutemen era like silhouette, like because silhouette's one of those other characters that you know you in the in the uh, in the Old Testament in the original Watchmen graphic novel she doesn't really get much much screen time, a lot like. Um, uh, Hood of Justice, kind of, you know, she's there and there's a little, little bit on her, but not much, hardly, you know, hardly anything. She's kind of, she's got, she meets a grisly end. What an interesting character to, to dive into. And if you use like a, uh, the original Night Owl, that could be really yeah. fun. Well, uh, I, I love this idea because I, I, honestly, this is one of the few things where there's, there's not so much, there's not like such a wealth of canon about Watchmen that it really is like, a great place for DC to just explore a bunch of different stories with the Minutemen or the Watchmen, like jump back and forth between those eras, like just show, you know, do more of that, like bring in the, you know, the third Nixon term and like what was going on with them then. And like, that would all be really interesting and they don't have to worry about it being something like Superman and Batman where these characters have already been played by dozens of people. And we Mm -hmm. have these, you know, the like sort of head canon about how we think it all fits together. Like, you know, that's, I love that idea. And I would don't pick up in 2020 with this pick up in 19, you know, 79 or something crazy and don't be afraid to cast i mean completely cast. i mean especially if it's a different time era you'd obviously have to cast it new but you know cast it with people who do a completely new their own take like don't try to match the continuity of gene smart you know with with the original sally jupiter if that's something you want to do like don't just have it be whatever um I just they they really what I don't want is a retread right so if they do anything yeah. it can't that should be the only there should be two rules one it can never be something that's already done so like you can't reshow you know it can't be oh like what if it can't be like a what if kind of story it's got to be something completely new that uses an element and it can doesn't have to be be a, a strong element just some element that exists in the original graphic novel and you can take you can be as subtle about that as you possibly can. And then the two, you know, the second thing, you kind of need to adhere to the ethic of Alan Moore and find yeah. that punk rock punk rock subversion of something that you know was the. I mean, that's the heartbeat of that book. So if you can, I mean, it's a subversion of so many things. Um, but I think and another and maybe honestly, TV may not be the the medium for it. Maybe yeah, it's a different medium entirely. Um, not movies. I mean, maybe it's like a. a I mean, Jesus Christ, you could even do some kind of crazy <laughs> thing on TikTok. That's very like, watch yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. Like there's any number I was of just, ways to do it. I was thinking too, like as was you were bringing up the Minutemen and, and what I was saying before uh, about, you know, filling in those sort of like 
you know, the timeline with uh, non-canonical stories or something is do an anthology series. Yeah. Like do a Mandalorian where there's a, or I mean, that's not a true anthology, but bring in a different director for every episode, you know, Uh, but bring in a different creative team and say, Hey, each one of you is going to make an episode, you know, and how goddamn. Oh my God. Especially if they look, they all look different. I mean, that would be, that would honor the comics medium so much by having different artists interpret. That's the, that of all the things about comics that I love, probably my top three, that's in there. It's just like seeing a world through a different artist's eyes, but having that sort of grounding thing, whether it be the character or the narrative. You know, there's, I just that is such a cool thing, just because it just it, it's like it's like taking drugs. Just it exposes you to a different perception without leaving your your body or leaving your house. You're just there. So I, I mean, yeah, having it, HBO's temptation is to be it will be to be greedy, you know, and try to like yeah. Yeah, they have repeat shown it, rest- repeat it, but well, repeat it as quick, you know, as quickly as they can. Although they've shown restraint before, they've they seem to let shows have the room they need. But I wouldn't, uh, I mean, especially if they have that stupid HBO Max Plus Ultra, whatever that, whatever <laughs> that other new app they have coming out, which is useless. Oh, it's just going to die on the vine. Like I, just, I imagine they're going to want to like have a, a flagship show or two. Um, yeah, I. Um... I hope it's not this. We we hinted at a little bit that we know we're getting at least three seasons of his dark materials, right? So yeah, they're a season per book. So then I hope that's sort of what they lean into rather than Watchmen. Yeah, I mean this. Uh, I what aren't they doing like a Game of Thrones prequel at some point? You know, I I know there was news about one of them getting canceled, but at one point they were like, you know, there were going to be. Ten different prequels or something. I honestly, like that, so. side note there, I don't ever want to see anything Game of Thrones filmed for like <laughs> at least at least ten years. Like I want all of the book, like George Martin's books, to come out first, even if it takes another fifteen years before I even like. It should be one of those things that's like, oh yeah, like it shouldn't be like, oh fuck, not again. Like it, I, I don't. Yeah. We can't have another Harry Potter situation on our hands where oh, right. you know the series ends and like the most mediocre continuation of that idea is put forth for like seven more years. Like that was the worst part about my absolute <laughs> worst. The worst thing about the uh, Fantastic Beasts franchise is that there has to be five of them, minimum. Ugh, and really? so there's still three going? more. There's three more. And like, you know, that first one was kind of delightful. And it's like, oh, that would have been kind of fun. And and much much like with this Watchmen you know, sort of discussion, they would have been smart to do like a Harry Potter anthology. So like every every one is like a different, you know, different era or a different character. That could have been cool. Just do like a ser- like an anthology Potterverse thing. Keep you could keep that going for 30 years and have something yeah. interesting to I mean Doctor Who has proven like you could, as long as you keep it going, mix it up, give us different points of view, you can keep a franchise running just fine. Um but it's like they did not. They they, they have this, you know, they have this half this half baked idea. They let J.K. Rowling co-write, and she, this you know that was her first screenplay. And you're like, well, well on her, but uh. and then they have the misfortune of miscasting a character completely, even though the actor who should play that character does appear at first as that character, but then it turns out to just be a disguise. I'm talking, of course, about Colin Farrell and Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp Ooh. should not, and not it, it, all of his. his ethical shenanigans aside he's just not a great like he doesn't fit that part as much as colin farrell did you're like i want that and then right. why why did it change it should have been him the whole time um 
Where was it? Oh, but yeah. And, and so then, <laughs> then this terrible second one comes out. And if you haven't seen the second Fantastic Beast movie, don't bother. It's so Ouch. boring. It's so goddamn boring. And the first one wasn't, you know, the most thrilling thing in the world. It was kind of fun to see flappers, you know, in Harry Potter. But that was kind of like, oh, well, it's novel. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. But the second one is so goddamn boring. The ending, and I'll spoil the ending for those of you who don't know. The ending is literally Johnny Depp is kind of the um, – kind of the Stalin-esque character uh, of, you know, he's, he's not Voldemort evil. He's much more kind of like a political villain. Um, I, th- I think that was Lenin. Stalin was definitely evil. <laughs> Wait, they were both evil. I mean, it's, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But it was Stalin who, who murdered the 20 million. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's who I'm comparing it to. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Cause, he's cause, not no, as evil as... Well, no, because he, he does kill people. I mean, it's, he's, got some, he's got sort of kind of a genocidal plan in mind too i think in in this in this world but like he the movie ends with him like giving a grand speech about how they need to stop world war ii (laughs) and it's like like he says like i see it coming and he predicts it he's like we need to stop it and then the police come and break up their their rally and that's that's it that's the end of the movie and then you're like and then they're like there are three more of these to come I just don't uh, – I, I say all this because Game of Thrones has this opportunity in front of them to we're, – <laughs> We're still drawing out the Game of Thrones thing because I have more to say about Game of Thrones too. <laughs> good. good yes, yeah, so we're back to Game of Thrones now. Because I, 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 I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, especially I'm going to Santa Fe for Christmas and that's the home of George R. R. Martin. Yeah. I'm not going to his home. He's just that's – Please do. I would you – know, you know, if I did, he might let me in. There's been stories that if you just kind of show up and – you know, you catch he's him on cool a good day. It. He's kind of cool with it, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't advocate people go do that, but it's I, if you should find yourself. I mean, my comment about it uh, is, what, what a missed opportunity. I think if he had finished at least one, but definitely both of those next books during the show's run, mm-hmm. they would have sold like crazy, and it would oh, have prompted all these sales of the la- of the first five books, et cetera, et cetera. But now that it's over and it ended in such a way, I I, I think all the hype is done. Nobody is caring year to year. Will he finish? You know, True. or at least the, the people that are, it's this tiny minority. You know, and there's I, people like me who got into it because of the show, bought all the books up, and then went, no, the books kind of suck by the end, so I'm not buying the next <laughs> ones. I I uh, then there's people like me who I may. Uh, grab the if not the next one then at least the final one because I'm like well what would he do different <laughs> what would he do differently what was his ending you know how did how did he kill the Night King because I it's got to be more interesting than what we got um, it's just I, the more the more you ponder the end of Game of Thrones the more you're just like ah just just let it go it's it, it's there we oh, we all were there we all saw it we don't need we, to talk about it it's and and to circle like back around grow up at Thanksgiving. It's like we saw her, she had too much oh, to drink. Let's never speak of it again. <laughs> it's fine. We love to, her anyway. To circle back around. <laughs> I mean, there is this is a thing we talked about in Wednesday and Westeros so much is and we I think we've talked about it in panelism episodes too, like an adaptation versus like um what what did you call it one time? Uh before Watchmen, I, I remember you had a like what you know, an adaptation versus like another term for this. But then with Watchmen, we get this remix, you know? Mm. And so it is worth visiting these other spinoffs, adaptations, remixes, and going, you know, what did uh, Fantastic Beasts do wrong? Or what? how did Game of Thrones, you know, like 
muff up that ending so badly. And I don't know. It's just uh, Watchmen gives us this rare opportunity to go, wow, they nailed it. You know? Well, here's a, I, you know what? It's uh, that's a really good question to keep pondering. I wonder then. I have I have this context because I listened to again <laughs> the Fat Man Beyond episode with Damon Lindelof. It was yeah. so revealing. He was so candid about so much. It was it was delightful to get that right before the finale. Like I I really appreciate that he took the time and then that he was he was so candid. Um, but he talk he goes he, he explains how they put the writers room together. He had at least half the pe- everybody who submitted and a lot of people submitted works um and he he considered work from like playwrights you know existing tv writers movie writers anybody and he's all the work that was submitted was you know just top notch but anybody who um you know he you know he'd have a meeting he'd take a meeting and then he'd give his pitch and if and you know if everybody was like oh that's the best idea i've ever heard i'm so in if they were too overly complimentary he wouldn't hire them if nice. somebody like threw some shade at him or told him like yeah that's great but here's what i'd do he they would immediately be on the list Man. because See? he knew enough to say I, I, I cannot pull this off myself. I need to be checked and balanced the entire way. Otherwise, we'll have fucked up. Um, and then even on top of that, so once he assembled the room, it was about 12 people. Um, once he assembled the room, then he made sure that at least half of them had – you know, like knew the canon through and through, like were you know, disciples of the Old Testament. And the other half of the room hadn't read it at all. Or were very, you know, faintly familiar with it, so that you had this wonderful ecosystem where there nobody was overindulgent, and that's yeah. really the the kind of the theme. I think that what breaks Harry Potter, you know, in the, in the latest movie iteration, what broke Game of Thrones is that the people at the you know running things got too indulgent, and like yeah. for for Harry Potter, it was J.K. Rowling had you know. She she wasn't hungry for it anymore. She just sort of had yeah. been soaking in this bath of this world. She passed out in the bathtub, and now she's just like, oh, whatever. And she, you know, everything just kind of flows. There's no sort of critical eye to it. She just got so indulgent in her own world that and nobody's there to tell her no. I, another classic example is George Lucas and the prequels. I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ! Like, yeah. a, oh my God! I mean, that was kind of the first, you know, I would say grand example. I'm sure there had been others yeah. prior with authors and such, but like in the modern age, I would think the prequels are the first case of this and it's the creator getting too indulgent and by some fate lindelof was smart enough to go that can't happen (laughs) we like you know i can't in my love for watchmen do something so dumb so stupid that that breaks the brand for a whole generation like i can't do that to this book yeah Um, I, I love that example of George Lucas because we talked we talked about it on our podcast when we went all through those prequels about the this mistaken conception we carried for a long time that the first three movies, the original trilogy, were the product of like of the soul you know the sole creator um, director writer sort of thing and that just wasn't true Lawrence Kasdan was directing and Gary other people Kurtz. were co-writing was, and yeah was his uh, there was the devil on his shoulder yeah. and once and, and notice that Gary Kurtz is not involved at all in the prequels at all he was right. banished because he was that guy like George Lucas just stopped I mean he wasn't banished but he just stopped yeah. working with them well and another great example are the freaking Hobbit movies. Oh, yes. I mean, that's like, you know, uh, Peter Jackson has this great run with Lord of the Rings, like so well received. And, uh, you know, 
just just loses sight of it. Like it, you it's know, gets caught up in that whole. Um, but wait, that's that that is a good example. But there is the one twist to that is, it was originally he wasn't going to direct it. He was right, going right, to produce right. it, and Guillermo del Toro was going to direct it, and we would have gotten that new, fresh, interesting take. Yeah, that sort of has some maybe some shared sensibility, but it is its distinctly own thing. And then he took it over, and then it went. At the studio said along the way, oh, and by the way, it's no longer. Uh, two movies it's three so oh, then no, he had that like, was him <laughs> was it are you sure i thought that was a new line thing that they're like I, you know it may have been i can't remember but uh Regardless, yeah it's, it's a good example so so many mistakes yeah but i think he was given that auteur status that was the word yeah. i was looking for where yeah, he was the uh, yeah. you know oh he can, he can do no wrong kind of thing um and uh, I, you know, I, once again, I got to recommend Lindsay Ellis's uh, trilogy on YouTube. Looking at the Hobbit movies, um, just look up Lindsay Ellis Hobbit, and you'll get them all, and they're amazing. <laughs> Ooh, I'm gonna do that next. Yeah, it's just like a documentary she kickstarted, um, goes to New Zealand, d- discusses how uh, how this whole and how it destroyed the New Zealand uh, film Whoa. <laughs> like economy that that Peter Jackson was basically responsible for creating. He then went in and, and decimated uh, his. <laughs> he's like a, he's actions. like an Indian god. Like I shall create what I just wrote. I create and create. What I <laughs> I, you know, it's I, as you're. I'm sitting here thinking too about the Lindelof writing room, and it kind of is. I'm, I'm sure this has existed before, but it really. I, I think sort of reaffirms this approach of uh, a showrunner as facilitator more so than originator. I, yeah. you know, it, it, he had this sort of take, but it seemed like, and it, again, this is highly contextual to listening to that interview. You really, I, I really got the sense of this. So it's kind of hard. If you haven't heard it, it's probably difficult to kind of understand this, but like he really did. He, it was less, it was less, here's my edict. Now go carry, you know, go, now go, <laughs> go my, my minions, carry forth. And then bring this to life, which is what a lot of show running is. It's like, you know, there's a top level decision. Everybody kind of, you know, they, they maybe share in sort of the execution, but it's, it's pretty much a top down system. And this is much more yeah. him going, how do I keep this, this machine working in, in imbalance? And if anything's out of balance, this machine falls apart. So everything has to be balanced, nuanced, you know, checked and rechecked, almost like an engineer for a, an old timey train. You know, I, just sort of like walking yeah. out with like, his stopwatch, looking at everything, which is, I mean, if that has been proven to be a very successful method of show running, I wonder how much more of that we're going to see. Um, I mean, and, and you have such a great example of it that you texted me about today, which is season three of American gods is happening with yet another showrunner. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that news broke today, but I didn't know about it until you texted and, it just seems ridiculous. And multiple cast, <coughs> sorry, cat, uh, actors have been fired, and not necessarily because of conflict, but just because they're they're hemming the show into such a narrow mm. part of the book that it, I think there's only three, you know, three ca- characters essentially total for like the whole, <laughs> you know most of it, um, which is which sucks for those actors because you know they'll probably have to book other shows or do other things and then they they may be replaced or I mean just what a boneheaded thing to do. That whole that American Gods, and for those of you who don't know, for a hot second we sort of did a podcast about American Gods. It was my favorite. Well, it still is one of my favorite books. I had high hopes for it, and then a lot of people liked season one. I did not, and since then it's just it's really been downhill. And I just, I, it's just a missed opportunity. It seems like that that whole thing was made by people who never either liked the book or understood the book or both. And so it's like you have to have a respect for the source material, but then in the case of Benioff and Weiss, Benny Wise, as we now refer to them, 
as in the case of Benny Wise, like they were such students of the source material. I think they were so indulgent in that they got too freaked out or they freaked themselves out of, of a, of a satisfying conclusion because they just didn't know how to honor. Like they were so scared of honoring the material that they couldn't honor anything. It, it just, it sort of fell apart that way. If yeah. they still, I mean, cause I, I am above the belief they did a lot. Once they took over from the books, they had a lot of interesting stuff and it's hard to tell how much of that was George R. R. Martin's cliff notes and how much was their own. Um, so it's, you know, there was good stuff there, but I really do wonder if the books had all, you know, happened before they concluded, it, it would have had to be a much better, you know, just, they would have had that, they could have been indulgent in the, the indulgence in the books would have been to their benefit because we'd have that source material. It would have been proven. It would have had that nice grounding to it. You know, you would have already satisfied or, you know, have been contextualized by a group of fans you know, to, to a proper yeah. degree, it just, it would have made sense. And then, you know, they, they could have indulged it. And then their, their job was just interpreting it to the screen. Kind of like what we're seeing with dark materials. Like that is conversely, the books have been written there. You know, the, the framework is there. The track is already laid. You just have to make the, the prettiest, most, most, you know, realistic train you can to, to go down that road. That's all you need to do. And then it's just about like really, you know, indulging my love of this book and my love of this world and really trying to represent it as accurately as I've seen it in my head. That's that's what that show's about. Yeah. Um, it's well, just, uh, I, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, just I'm just I was just going to bring us back to Watchmen and just all those things you said. I really felt like Lindelof brought that to this, that that respect of the source material uh, with the idea that I, I can't improve upon that. So I'm not even going to really try. I'm going to take this in another direction. And, uh, now I did not listen to that fat man beyond episode because you sent it to me before the last episode came out. And I, as you know, wanted to go in as fresh as possible. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, this all, this whole conversation just makes me want to go back and check that out. And like we've said all along, like just fully appreciate this whole series together now that I can watch the whole thing start to finish, you know, and in a, well, let's be honest one day is probably what I'll do. <laughs> it's going to, I can't wait. It's going to change. Uh, so my wife, Rachel hasn't, she wants to watch it. So I'm hoping to binge it with her. Uh, nice. it, it's, it's going to change the context considerably knowing the ending. And that's going to be, you know, and that's going to be how I see it from now on. But True. that first time that I see it in that way is going to be kind of just, a, it'll feel just like a whole new experience. It's like, well, we know, we know what this is about. We know when Judd goes over those that tire, you know, those tire, his Don Johnson's performance when his, you know, his car tires go out. Like yeah. we know what that's for now. Like we can kind of watch it in that nuanced way because, yeah, he well, may or may not have known. I but, love your idea of like watching watching it for the looks he's giving to Cal in his yeah, house. You know, like yeah. that's. Uh, I anyway, I uh, if you have not noticed, I'm I'm trying to steer us to to our own sort <laughs> of soft landing. Um, no, but I wanted to to uh, to sum it up with like you know. Let's talk there, about Harry anything? Potter again, shall we? <laughs> well, you know, I got this new iPhone, and <laughs> let's let's do the Apple Tech Talk for a couple of. That's uh, right. We didn't do any Tech minutes. Talk this week. That's true. Just Harry Potter. Harry Potter chit chat. <laughs> that was um, that was relevant. It was no. I mean, we'll, we often talk about adaptation and uh, you know remixes. So this is all on point. Um, is there anything you feel like we have missed from this whole series that we like we've neglected to talk about? I know after oh. our last episodes, I had a couple things, but I think I've gotten them out now. So I had one quick point. So uh, 
if you are curious who Lube Guy was, that was the one of the yes. things we didn't deliberately answer on the show. Uh, PDpedia, which now has a lot more content on it, mm. has a lot of pretty straightforward allusions to the fact that it was PD in the costume. Um, it just it all sort of lines up. So that's more or so less confirmed. In the, what in the, was? Do we get any point on like why PD would have done that? Um. Kind of. I filled in more of the blanks myself, though. He was in town with Lori, so he was already there. He's clearly a huge sort of fanboy of the whole Watchmen universe. You know, like he's a big he's basically like a fanboy banging his, you know, his crush. Um, yeah. But all that, but he's got like that very you know, encyclopedic knowledge of the whole thing. So my guess is he's sort of was inspired to dress up and just sort of like play the game too, you know, and then got caught, Angela caught him and then he took off. I forget what he was doing when she caught him. Um, I need to remind myself of that, but yeah, that was, and it just, it was one of those little things where they made it, I think a little more exciting than it should have been. And so we got a little more caught up in it than it probably we should have been, but it's, you know, is what it is. One of the minor, my minor quibbles with that, uh, with how everything shook up. I think other yeah. than that, everything else was, oh, can I, before, sorry, before we put a final pin in it, I just have to say real quick, the scene with Angela and Will in the theater was uh. so worth the wait because I was, as you remember last week, a little upset that, or two weeks ago, that she didn't get to talk to him at, yeah. at the true yeah. compound. And it's, now that we, it, it had to happen in that way, in that location. And that, brought the you know, everything full circle it brought the, the oh, theater yeah. at the end of the beginning just beautiful 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 anyway um other than that i think was there anything else that we didn't get answers oh. to I, not well i there are probably things we have not mentioned that did get answered or something but um th- you know that's i wasn't left hanging on anything so that lets me know that the details i thought were significant were in fact significant and did get finalized yeah, you yeah. know because there's always that thing in in mystery box sort of uh uh you know plots where you're you're not sure what's a red herring and what's what's going to be answered and i feel like we got answers to things i didn't expect and yeah. so that was that was good to get like closure on some things and i honestly i was not so interested in the identity of lube man i know in like our last episode i had said maybe he truly was window dressing but it begs the question why weren't there more vigilante acts that we saw um i mean i guess we did with laurie like she busted some but the conclusion of that because uh i just looked up on hbo on pdpedia to see what that last memo was and it's the memo about the firing of pdpedia and that there is a of pd and that there is a strong chance that he will turn to vigilanteism yeah yeah. and so it's like oh that that is pretty cool you know like what a nice little easter egg to kind of slip in there that you didn't really need answers but it's nice that the sort of multimedia production of it brought us around to some answers yeah. Well, I am uh, over break. I'm going to read. I'm probably going to read the uh, the Old Testament um, yeah. all over again. But this time, I mean, with a whole new appreciation or like a new set of eyes. And I'm going to do that wonderful thing where I'm going to basically put Jeremy Irons' voice into <laughs> the entire time because I I will read that character now, with the exception of the, his before Watchmen version is a little different. Uh, but I'm going to read him in Watchmen now almost. From now on, as Jer- as the way Jeremy Irons portrays him, because I just at, what I thought I would hate has ended up just charming me to no end. Like I yeah. just I love his interpretation of that character, and that is that brings me full circle. So I'll, you know I'll stop right there. One other thing I gotta say, which is yeah. uh, sorry if this b- takes us off ta- off topic again or on a tangent, is that like I, one of the things I appreciate through this whole series and that I hope to appreciate on rewatching it was how 
taut every episode was. Because as you were talking about picturing him in that, I was thinking to that flashback of like Lady True's mother um, inseminating herself <laughs> and like the, all the little touches to that, like the the yeah. portrait of Alexander and things like that. And and I'm thinking like they did all of that in one episode. Like yeah. that is crazy. Yeah. And to think of those times in Game of Thrones where because they kept trying to to bounce all over this continent it just wasn't as taut and, and oh, good well point. told, like, you know, it just, cause I, and like I've mentioned before, like I remember at the time when Mad Men and Game of Thrones were airing, you know, concurrently, I would watch them both on Sunday nights. And often I would come away from Game of Thrones, like, Oh man, you were just all over the place tonight. It was just a filler episode. Like it was important information, but nothing concluded. Whereas, you know, Mad Men would like be tension from start to finish. Mm. And, or maybe not even tension, but wound tightly, you know, and Watchmen, every episode was so perfectly wound, you know, and, and they showed that you can do that. Our attention span can last more than one episode. So you can do a whole episode on looking glass and we're not going to forget who Angela Abar is in the next episode, you know, and we got all those like long looks at like looking glass and Angela and will, and even, um, uh, Adrian and, and lady true. And it's like, oh, this is wonderful. You know, so. I just realized while you're saying this out loud, Game of both Game of Thrones and Watchmen are soap operas. They're high yeah. quality, high dollar soap operas, but they still follow the character dynamics and sort of story beats of a soap opera. Like watch Days of Our Lives for a week and tell me I'm wrong. And so like and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that if you're going to compare the two, it's like Game of Thrones did was playing like the traditional soap opera game. Watchmen found a totally new way to do it. Yeah. Like it still had some of those same tropes, but it's like game of Thrones just kind of leaned into those tropes in the end. It's like, you know, the, the, yeah. you know, the princess dies in his arms by his own hand, like all that same, just that sort of cliche horseshit. Whereas this is almost like anything that was going to be cliche was either subverted or amplified to a ridiculous degree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, it was, it was entertaining or interesting, you know? Yeah. What a good job. With yeah. that, yeah, where can we people stop. find us? <laughs> well, we're online, panelism.inc. That's www.panelism.inc. And that is also our Instagram handle, panelism.inc. And find stuff there. We're going to be a lot more active here. It's Christmas has been this this holiday, Todd. It's been a little exhausting, I think, really? for all involved. Well, for me especially. So I, no, I, I'm looking forward to next week both decompressing but also really – getting all our content ready for the new year and, and a lot of fun stuff coming so get get ready for that we're gonna be back into the books in january obviously we'll probably do an episode or two between now and then and uh yeah look forward to the next one 